Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. Well, welcome back to um, Series 6 as we continue uh, with Paul and his friends on this amazing journey that they are going on, uh, heading to the city of Jerusalem. They started out in Greece, in northern Greece, in Macedonia, and we've seen them go through Asia Minor, various different places along the coast, and uh, they're heading to Jerusalem. This is because in Acts 19 verse 21, the key verse for this series, Paul expressed his intention in the latter stages of his ministry uh, whilst he was in the city of Ephesus to go back into Greece, Macedonia and Achaia, uh, then travel to Jerusalem with a financial gift and then head to Rome. His mission field for the future, uh, he felt, was going to be based on the city of Rome, the capital city of the empire, where as far as we know, he'd never been before. So that's the bigger picture. And if you were with us in the last episode, you'll remember that Paul was at a, at a port called Miletus. And there he summoned the elders of the nearby church of Ephesus, about 50 kilometers north, and they had a meeting and a discussion. And that was the content of our last episode, an amazing discussion between Paul and these elders about the character of Christian leadership, the things that Christian leaders need to do in the local church, the, the, the courage they need, the humility they need, the teaching they need to give, the protection they need to bring. And so Paul had an amazing meeting with these elders and he told them very specifically that he was never going to see them again. That was based on an, an expectation that his mission field was moving. He wasn't going to be working in that area again. He needed to get to Italy, to Rome, and perhaps in his mind, even at this stage, he intended to go to Spain, which is referred to uh, in the book of Romans as a possibility. So he was moving areas. And so when he left these elders, there was a very emotional scene right at the port of Miletus, as he said goodbye to them at the last time. And that's where we left the story. So just to connect the two episodes together, we're going to uh, read those, those verses again. Um, Acts 20, verses 36 to 38. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul was traveling with a group of friends. We know that Luke was with him and several other people. We know that they were carrying a large consignment of coins, of money that was going to be a big financial gift to give to the church in Jerusalem. And on they continue with their journey. And in this episode, we follow the journey as they go from Miletus towards Jerusalem. Verses one to six. After we'd torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there 
and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. Well, Luke is present uh, in this uh, account, gives a very vivid account, gives us lots of detail of the places they saw and passed by. Uh, and of course, they were on ships that were primarily cargo ships. Most people traveling as passengers in those days on board ships were a small part uh, of the number of people on board because mostly they were cargo ships who just had a few passengers on board. And this was the situation. There was a cargo that was heading to the city of Tyre. There was very deep emotion as Paul said goodbye to the elders at Ephesus. We tore ourselves away. This is powerful language, speaking of friendships that were going to be under pressure because they weren't going to be able to see each other again. And they travelled by sea, going from port to port, sometimes changing boats, sometimes continuing on the boat. And this is very similar, in a sense, to how many modern people have to travel. When we don't have our own means of travel, we're usually on buses, uh, sometimes on trains, and you can take quite a number of buses as you move around the city, as many of you will know, or move around your area, or move across country. And this is what they were doing. But they were going by sea, partly for speed and probably partly for security. It's harder to get robbed when you're carrying all this coinage if you're uh, uh, on board a ship than it is if you're traveling over land, where bandits frequently attacked and robbed travelers as they passed in remote areas. And Paul was very concerned to maintain the security of the coinage and the financial gift that he had taken so much effort to collect. And as they travelled on this journey between Patara and Tyre, this is about 500 kilometre sea journey to the south of the island of Cyprus. And when they arrived at Tyre, um, they had arrived in what we would now call Lebanon, the country of Lebanon, the city of Tyre is still there, a major trading city throughout the years of the ancient world. And this ship was one of many hundreds that would be coming in and out of the city of Tyre. But interestingly enough, when they get to the city of Tyre, um, they find that there are disciples there, there are believers there. Now, we have no record that Paul had visited the city of Tyre before. Uh, it was north of the land of Israel. Um, but clearly there are some believers there. So how did those believers come to be there? Well, we can't be sure, but there is a clue in the book of Acts. Because when, <clears throat> at the very beginning, uh, when the early church was based in Jerusalem, as you'll recall, if you remember the story or if you've been with, it, with us in the earlier series, there was a sudden moment of persecution. And all these thousands of believers were gathered around the city of Jerusalem. The church was getting bigger and bigger uh, in the months and years after the day of Pentecost. And then suddenly a persecution started after the 
killing or the martyrdom of Stephen and the authorities, the religious authorities in Jerusalem did everything they could to imprison and intimidate and scatter the Christians. And so they got scattered into many different parts of the country and beyond. But Acts 11 verse 19 makes a very interesting statement. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch. Now Phoenicia is the territory of Tyre. So here's an interesting point. Paul comes some years later and he meets a group of believers there. He did not plant this church. There's no evidence of anybody particularly going to Tyre to plant a church. There's nothing in the book of Acts to suggest that. But what it does tell us is that some of the people who were scattered by that early persecution went to that district. And then they established their own church in Tyre and probably there were many other churches in the area. This is a very interesting reflection on the fact that in the early church, churches were planted by two different methods. One was by a missionary effort when another church or an apostle uh, sent people out to plant churches and that's basically the story that Luke is telling concerning Paul. That's what Paul did. He went to places where no one had been before and he, and he formally planted a church by clear intention and planning. But sometimes other circumstances lead to churches being planted spontaneously or even accidentally. And here in Tyre is probably an example of that where these believers from Jerusalem may have had some family connections in the district of Tyre. So when the persecution came, their first thought, well, well, we'll go there. We'll go to where we have connections. We'll go to where we can get jobs, where we can get homes, and we'll settle there. And of course, they formed communities. Now, you may live in a country where this has happened a lot. And you may have wondered about this phenomenon, but it's a phenomenon in the Bible that some churches are planted by accident or by ordinary people being forced to go from one place to another just deciding they're going to form a community. So you can imagine what the believers in Tyre must have felt when somebody said one day, you'll never guess what's happened. The Apostle Paul has arrived. The most famous missionary leader in the early church, someone they'd never met before, He'd given no notice that he was coming. He just arrived. That was unbelievably exciting for them. And so they spent some time there. We sought out the disciples and stayed with them seven days, a whole week. This wasn't an overnight stop. And I guess what might have happened was said, Paul, stay with us. Tell us some of your stories. Where have you been? You've been to Corinth, to Athens. You've been to Berea. You've been to Philippi. You've been to Thessalonica. We've heard about Ephesus. And yes, we know about Antioch, where you started out. But that's amazing. Seven days of dramatic storytelling and rich fellowship. 
Maybe you've had this experience when somebody comes into your church who's got a tremendous amount of experience of, of God working in another part of the world and they just start telling you stories and you get terribly excited because you see how much bigger God's purposes are than you ever thought when here you are just in your little church in one place like they might have felt in Tyre. And the interesting thing is they, they had such a good time that when it came to part, yes, again, there was another scene of gathering together and praying, just like we've seen at Ephesus. But no, put, notice what Luke says here. This time, everybody came. The, the husbands, the wives, the children, the whole church went to the place where they were going to say goodbye on the beach what a moving scene that must have been. This whole community, and, and almost certainly none of these people had ever met Paul before because he'd not been there. They'd had no reason to connect with his mission. They're in a different geographical location with a different reason for their church being formed. And yet they made this connection and they prayed on the beach with the children running around beside them as they knelt to pray. But there was a prophetic concern about going to Jerusalem. They were worried about what it might mean. And uh, we have to think about this as the story goes on. But anyway, he moves from Tyre down to Ptolemais, uh, which is further down the coast. And there uh, he, stay, he, he meets the church uh, in that area. So let's uh, read verses 7 to 9. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for one day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Well, here are some interesting and telling stories. Ptolemais is uh, a city that is uh, in modern-day Israel, the city of Akko, uh, in the north of the city, uh, in the north of the country. And <clears throat> then they travelled from there to Caesarea. And when, they, when we get to Caesarea, we immediately begin to think, ah, yes, this is a, a very important place for a number of reasons. And the reason it's an important place is, uh, from the Christian point of view, is first of all that this is where Peter came to meet Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and his family and his household in his house after a miraculous series of dreams and visions led Peter and Cornelius to be connected. And then as Peter was speaking to Cornelius, the Holy Spirit came down on all of them and they believed and spiritual gifts came forth and then they were all baptized. And we described this, of course, in an earlier episode. This is the same city. This is the city that was the capital city for the Roman provincial government, where the procurator or the governor lived, where, which was the military headquarters. But Cornelius is not mentioned here. Uh, but Philip is. So this is interesting too, because when we go back in the, in the book of Acts, we find that Philip, the evangelist, 
went from Jerusalem to the, slightly to the north to Samaria when, when the persecution started. Then the Holy Spirit led him to go south on the road, going south towards Egypt on the road to Gaza where he met the Ethiopian eunuch and preached the gospel to him and he was baptized and went on his way. And then it says in the narrative that from there he went over to the coast, the coastal area and preached in all the cities along the coast. And this is for many, many kilometers all the way along the coast until he reached Caesarea. And there he stopped. He stopped in Caesarea. And he probably became the church leader in Caesarea. And then we, we lose sight of Philip because this, the narrative moves on to Paul's life and to all sorts of different countries. But now Paul is coming to Caesarea and Philip reappears in the story. He's still there. Philip, who was an evangelist. It says here in the text he was an evangelist. One of the seven the seven men who were chosen to look after the widows in the food distribution in Acts chapter 6 in the Jerusalem church. There's a lot about Philip in the earlier part of the story. And you might think, well, he's gone out of the story, but he suddenly reappears again here. He's married. He's got four children, at least. Four young children, four young daughters, all unmarried. And... Paul stays in his house. What a wonderful moment that must have been. Because here's Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest evangelists of the early church, with Philip the Evangelist, who would have been very active in that area in ways that aren't actually described in the book of Acts, but he would have been very active. What an amazing coming together that was, that these two people could see their ministries connecting together. They could share stories. They'd been working in very different cultures, in very different situations, but with the same evangelistic gift and calling. So here's another remarkable meeting. And Luke note, noticed the four unmarried daughters. They only stayed a short time in the house but why does Luke mention the four unmarried daughters who prophesied? That's interesting. They exercised a spiritual gift which the New Testament calls prophecy. It may have been because they prophesied to Paul in the house. Even though they were youngsters, children got married at a young age in those days, so if they're unmarried, they could be young children, early teens or even younger than that, but spiritually gifted and able perhaps to speak prophetically to Paul. I mean, this is such an intriguing story. There's so many details here I'd love to know more about. As Luke tells the story, and Luke was there, he was an eyewitness, he saw all this going on in front of him. But what do we mean by prophecy? There's a passing reference here, but let's pause on that for a moment and try and work out what we mean. Prophecy is not preaching the gospel. Prophecy is not teaching the Bible, as I'm doing now. Prophecy is not about being a church leader. 
Prophecy <coughs> is a gift of the Spirit, a supernatural capacity that any believer can be given. We find in 1 Corinthians 12 verses 7 to 11 a list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit which the Spirit gives to individual believers and it's his will which gifts are given to individual believers. But it appears from this example that even youngsters can receive spiritual gifts. That's an important lesson for us. And they can receive the gift of prophecy. And prophecy is revealing some specific knowledge from the Holy Spirit to help believers. That's its general function. Some specific knowledge, some knowledge about God, some knowledge about the present, some knowledge about the immediate future, some information that is going to help us follow God in the circumstances that we are in. This is a word for an individual, for a family, for a church, or a particular group of people in one moment of time. It doesn't have the authority of scripture, but it does have the authority of the Holy Spirit as helping and stirring us up into obedience when God begins to speak to us in a personal way. What's the purpose of prophecy? 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3 says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. It's not infallible just because somebody says I have a prophetic word or I think God is saying that doesn't mean it's infallible we have to try and evaluate it 1 Corinthians 14 verse 29 two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said there's no infallibility here there's no superior authority but we need to listen respectfully when people bring a prophetic word. You may or may not be familiar with that experience in your Christian life, but it was a normal part of the experience of the early church and a normal part of Paul's experience. And all the way through this journey, there are people bringing prophetic words to Paul, as we'll see more dramatically in just a moment. And so these four unmarried daughters of Philip probably prophesied to Paul. But then in the next passage, something even more significant in terms of prophecy takes place. Verses 10 to 14. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, oh, the Lord's will be done. Now we've seen these four unmarried daughters and now we meet an, another person from the past in the book of Acts, Agabus. 
Now, he's described not just someone who exercises the gift of prophecy on an occasional basis, but he is described more as someone with a recognized gift that is regularly used, recognized by the local church. He came from the Jerusalem church, and Agabus has appeared once before, some years ago, when the church was established in Antioch by Paul and Barnabas, and they were teaching the church. And it says that Agabus came up from Jerusalem with some others and delivered a message to them, Acts 11 verses 27 onwards, a message warning them about an impending famine. And then they took up a special offering as a result of it. And here Agabus appears again. He comes from the church in Jerusalem and he brings a message. What is his message to Paul? And why did he come anyway? Had he heard that Paul had arrived in the country? Quite possibly, because news travelled fast and Paul had been in Tyre for a week. He'd been uh, in Ptolemais and he was in Caesarea for, for, for a number of days. And word had got to Jerusalem probably, Paul is in the country. And Agapus, being a prayerful man, was, was probably praying and thinking about this. And then the Lord called him and says to go to Paul to find him. And he found him in the home of Philip the Evangelist. And he warned him about suffering to come in Jerusalem. The interesting thing is that some people interpreted this warning as a, a reason not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul interpreted this warning as a means of encouraging him to have the courage to endure the potential suffering that was coming his way. And so there was a tension in the discussion about this when some people pleaded with him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Look what's going to happen to you. Send somebody else and you go back to uh, Antioch or to another place. But Paul was sure that the prophecy was there to strengthen and encourage him um, rather than to frighten him off doing what he knew from God he must do. And this is an interesting point about prophecy. Prophecy doesn't always tell us that life is going to be better and God's going to bless us in simple ways that are going to make us feel comfortable. What prophecy does tend to do is to tell us very clearly that God is with us and that we should be strong in him, whatever the circumstances. And so, from Caesarea, they continue their journey. They're getting close to Jerusalem now, and we follow the story in the last couple of verses, verses 15 and 16. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasson, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. This was a two-day two day journey by horseback from Caesarea to Jerusalem. A group of people accompanied Paul and he stayed with one of the disciples who presumably was chosen because he had a big house, because there was quite a few in Paul's group. And so they arrived in or near Jerusalem at the home of Manasson. 
And at this point, the story is ready to take us on to what actually happens in the city of Jerusalem. But what can we learn from today's episode? First of all, <clears throat> we can learn something about prophecy. There are three levels of prophecy recognized in this passage. First of all, <clears throat> the general sense of um, awareness of, of a possibility. So uh, in verse 4, uh, through the Spirit they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. This was a general sense amongst the disciples in Tyre. Secondly, the specific gift of prophecy to individuals. That's the four unmarried daughters of Philip. And thirdly, the recognized church-based prophet, someone who has a track record of accuracy and authority. That's Agapus. Prophecy, prophetic ministry, is a gift that did not die out with the New Testament. It's still there today, but we need to understand it biblically. Second thing we learn is concerning evangelists. We realize that Philip and Paul both had a remarkable gift of evangelism. And we notice, therefore, that some people in the church are gifted by God with particular ability to communicate the gospel, and they're a precious resource in the church. Paul was one, Philip was one, they're in our story, and we honor them and all people like them. The final observation I want to make as we come to a conclusion of this remarkable episode is to think about healthy fellowship between churches. It's very well described in this passage. Paul, as Paul traveled, he, he received tremendous welcome in all sorts of different place, places. There was a sincere welcome for him in Ephesus, Tyre, Ptolemais, Caesarea, and Manasseh's home in or near Jerusalem. There was rich hospitality at Tyre, at Ptolemais, at Philip's home in Caesarea, and the home of Manasseh. And there was heartfelt prayer. Have you noticed the sincere prayer that is described on several occasions? And the willingness of people sometimes to travel with the evangelist or the missionary or the leader who is going forward. Verse 16, some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh. That's at least four days journey for them to there and two back. So there are many different beautiful examples in this passage of the fellowship between churches. Our churches on a, are on a common mission and when we can support each other in that common mission, then that mission will be strengthened. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to welcoming you to the next one. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.